When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome, listeners, to the Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy and the sultan of spreadsheets, Nathan Lee Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> uh, beep boop. I don't know. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> like I'm a robot. Like I'm oh, a, I see. a okay. number crunching android. I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. I'm with you. I like, yeah, there's no other noise you could have made, is Not there? Not really. I guess the error sounds that Excel makes when you when you put in a incorrect formula. <laughs> no, I'm not that familiar. <laughs> no, no. Well, I could tell that from the video. Like like <laughs> Leeds against Tottenham, you have backed me into a corner and given me no choice but to latch Ooh, out. Very nice. Happy New Year to you both. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Happy New Year. Uh, it's good to be in 2021 after the the shit show that was 2020. Um, nightmare of a year for a whole load of reasons, but being locked down has meant we've actually been able to do stuff and do stuff we have. We uh, we have launched a Patreon, which has been massive for us. Uh, we've launched a website. We've launched a range of merchandise. I didn't think I'd be saying that, but it's happened. Um, the Patreon is huge. It allows us to make this podcast sustainable. I mean, it has become sustainable. We're now able to pay Nathan for his production. We can pay all of our contributors, which is mm. something we're all incredibly proud of. Um, it's hard work, it's hard work for sure, but there's a little bit of money to split three ways at the end of it, so it's kind of made it all worthwhile. Um, with the Patreon, if you're interested, if you're not aware of what we're doing, we're offering these podcasts, but without the adverts. We're offering Nathan's regular tactical breakdowns. I do a regular podcast with Chris Somersell, who is a coach and analyst called Straight Off the Training Ground, in which Chris is really fascinating on all aspects of coaching. He's very open about his own methodology and his learning, and I've learned a hell of a lot from him. And Bardi is is curating regular newsletters, the, the most recent of which came out on New Year's Eve and was a very, very enjoyable read. We're also doing occasional live Q&A podcasts with the X-Subs, who are the Patreon subscribers via the dedicated discord server uh and i'm doing youth update videos every now and again as well oh and i've just started doing some um, <laughs> some skits yeah I'm, I'm 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 i don't know why i, I shouldn't have mentioned that because it's embarrassing but i'm doing some skits around uh <laughs> it's called windy calls it's basically 
the idea is that I'm calling the players. I'm really embarrassed at talking about this. So I'm going to stop. How, there. Uh, how much longer do you reckon you can carry the series on for Chris? Um, I mean, I could I could get through all the first team players and then make start the youth team. <laughs> um, other good things that have happened recently. I think we need to give a shout out to Jack Hussey, Tetrunks, Spurs wipe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Jack's technical skills are absolutely insane. Uh, he does this for a living. He's he's a video producer. He's he's been doing it for many many years. And oh my god, is he good at it? He is. Yeah. I mean, you have to go and watch it. You have to go and watch Spurs wipe 2020. It is. A staggeringly detailed piece of work, which must have taken him many, many hours, and it features Nathan. It does, it does. A very minor role. Don't watch it just for me. It's it's very funny. Go watch it because it's funny, and you'll enjoy it. Very nice, light look at Spurs in 2020. Incredibly well made by Jack. Um, you know, huge props to him for for doing that. That's no mean feat. Um, Nathan, the reason I called you the Sultan of Spreadsheets at the start is because you put together a video with me. Yeah, we we put together a video. We put together a video that we could finally put on YouTube, which has been much requested because uh, it's something we decided we wanted to put out for free for everyone, uh, and it featured no match footage, which meant it can go on YouTube, and a bunch of people have subscribed to my completely otherwise dormant YouTube channel, expecting more. Maybe there will be some more. Maybe we'll find a way to do some other. Um, uh, YouTubeable video content down the line, but I wouldn't expect it to be extremely regular. I think uh, maybe tomorrow or at some point this week we'll be back watching watching Sessegnon, um, and then I'll try to get Harry on in the near future to look at Sabitzer. Um, so yeah, more more fun video stuff coming the way of the Patreons. Nice, nice, nice. Um, let's talk about Leeds. So we're recording straight after the Leeds game. This is unusual for us. We don't often do an immediate record post-match. Um, we've won 3-0 and everything is, is right in Spurs world again, right, buddy? And now you're gonna believe... No. <laughs> <laughs> it's all back. It's all okay again. You know, it's all all right. I've been, um, I've, I've been under attack. Uh, yeah. I kicked the hornet's I kicked the hornet's nest because you know we've we've been down. We haven't been playing well. We haven't been winning. We haven't won a league game since sixth uh, of December, which is an insane thing if you think about it. And we won. And we're back close to the top again. The rest of the league have kind of stumbled during this little period, so we've been lucky. And today was the the perfect opposition to come against, come up against. And we we took full advantage of Leeds. Um, we spoke last week about the Fulham game, which never happened. And I I did say I was more concerned about Fulham than I was about Leeds. And it kind of turned out that way that Leeds were the perfect um, perfect opposition for us. They really were. They really were. Um, team selection wise, I suppose there were a couple of surprises. Mm. Um, I mean, there were rumours that Delhi would start. So to some people, it was a surprise when he didn't. Uh, Wink started in central midfield. Doherty started at right back, which was interesting because Aurier wasn't even on the bench. Not sure what's happened there. Um, and there were some missing players as well, perhaps because they have tested positive for COVID or perhaps because they're being punished for socialising over Christmas. We'll come on to that shortly. Mm. Um, Nathan, you did a video, uh, sorry, you did a podcast with, with John McKenzie. Uh, yeah. before this game and I would say it pretty much panned out exactly <laughs> yeah. as John expected yeah you, well you two were very optimistic about this game and John was very pessimistic about this game and I was not so sure but um you were all right that this was this was very much in Spurs favor sort of every every single way um yeah he 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 essentially saw this game as 
pretty much Leeds' hardest game all season, the way that Mourinho would approach the game and the troubles that Leeds have had against some of the more extreme low blocks in the championship last season. Um, and also like some of the more specific things as well in terms of like uh, the way that they man-mark the opposition centre-forwards with a centre-back, mm. which in the case of Harry Kane is always going to uh, drag the defenders about and leave space for something to, to run into. That was always... Um, always going to happen and resulted directly in a goal. Um, but I thought we saw some other stuff as well that maybe wasn't as sort of clear. From, from So obviously when, it, when you talk about Leeds, you talk about their pressing, but we pressed them on a couple of occasions very smartly too uh, and, and, and broke up their possession play from deep. Um, I'd mentioned on that podcast that so he asked me, he sent me a running order and I didn't realise it was more than a page long. So he sprung some questions on me that I wasn't expecting because I didn't scroll down. He asked me who I thought our like most important or who, who needed to play well. And I said Sissoko because he, if you, if you catch him turning on the ball, the Spurs will be under a lot of trouble. And what Mourinho did was simply not play Sissoko until the end of the match um, and, and, and chose Winks, who's a more, okay, he has his shortcomings, but a more technical player, someone who's much more comfortable turning on the ball, receiving under pressure and that sort of stuff, which, yeah, makes a lot of sense. It was a really smart decision, uh, of course, Mourinho. Um, Doherty versus Aurea, slightly more complex, but uh, but yeah. Winks had a really, really interesting game. I mean, he literally played the Sissoko role, which I found fascinating. He he was dropping in and defending and uh, filling space and not getting on the ball. I mean, when I say not getting on the ball, he barely had the ball. I was very surprised. You know, when, when Winks plays generally, the play comes through him. He's mm. dictating play. That was not the case. And um, so I'm just having a very quick look at the data as I as I say this. So Pierre-Emile Huibier had 80 touches of the ball. Harry Winks had 34. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's a staggering difference. Um, Huibier, 58 passes. Harry Winks, 18 passes. I mean, he just wasn't there to, to dictate play. It wasn't his job. But when he did get the ball, he sprung things pretty well, I thought. I thought he was quite good at putting us on the front foot. I, I, and I thought maybe there's um, maybe maybe Mourinho has realised that Winks isn't what he describes as a positional player and he can play the eight role in this team. I, I like you guys. I thought Winks was good. I thought there's been there's been something of a change in Winks over the last few weeks. His little cameos, his little appearances here and there. He's been he's been a lot better. There was moments against Wolves where he, he was being dragged out of position. They could just pass around him or through him. Yeah. And. I, I did think it was strange. It was the the most we've seen of Winks in a long time, but it was the the least we've seen of him. And it, it, it's back, that's backed up by the numbers you just read out, Wendy, that you almost forgot he was there. But by his presence, he was filling spaces rather like Sissoko does, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. better on the ball. And when he had the ball, he yeah, he's, he's smarter than Sissoko on the ball. And maybe this is... Um, Maybe we're going to see a change in weeks now. Maybe he he will become more of a regular player and just will have to accept the fact that he won't have the ball all the time and just just be happy with that. I don't know whether he will, on a personal level, want to play that way for the rest of his career at Spurs. I think the other benefit of, of Sissoko not starting is that Sissoko came on and had a genuinely positive impact as a sort of game closer. That's a role that I like, I like him in. I, I think that's a... A very viable role for Sissoko going forward, and um, so I'm I'm happy with that. And Nathan, any thoughts on that particular role? Uh, I'm I'm a little less uh, convinced. I'm I'm not on the um, Harry Winks 2021 revival train just yet, but it's definitely one to keep an eye out for. 
that's reasonable. That's very reasonable. Mm. Um, and Nathan, did you think that Spurs uh, did anything differently considering they were playing against mm. Bielsa's Leeds? Uh, well, the the story of the last few weeks has been scoring a goal, or starting off with with shock and awe, uh, scoring a goal, and then conceding possession. And uh, for a while, that worked out, and then it stopped working out. Uh, what we saw in this game was pretty predictable in that we never bothered having the ball in the first place because Leeds always wanted it. Um, but we maintained um, our danger on the counter throughout the game, not not just for the first goal and for the second goal, but for the third goal and afterwards as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The question is, um, is that... Um, is that because we approach the game differently or is it because we had more success with the same approach from before? And I'm not sure yet. I want to go back and I want to watch, um, rewatch. Uh, the a very annoying thing with this game, and it's something that I complained about through it a lot as well, is that like we keep scoring when the camera is watching a replay or when we're looking at a, a manager and it's so so frustrating to me because I want to know how we've arrived. We didn't get to see the corner that we scored at all, you know? I just, I'm so frustrated with the Mm. way that our games are filmed because we just score out of nowhere and there's no, there's no, I I can't tell you what's happened, you know? Mm. Mm. Um, But, but nonetheless, we, we kept our threat throughout uh, on the counter. Um, We're going to come on to talk about Fulham later, but like, okay, what I, the, (laughs) In fact, before that, what I said to John on the the preview podcast was like the way that Mourinho sets his team up to play and approaches the game and views the game sort of forces you into hot take territory, right? When absolutely everything is about the results and the results are constantly changing. Hence Bardi's tweets earlier. Yeah, hence Bardi's (laughs) tweets earlier and my tweets before that, etc. Is that you're always swinging from one, uh, one dramatic position to the other and it's like, okay... I came out last week after a couple of negative results and said, hey, maybe other teams are... Uh, we talked about fitness and freshness. And I said, where we have a freshness advantage, and what I mean by that is your sort of um, recuperation levels, your your existing levels of exertion, where we are perhaps behind or becoming behind other teams now is in our maximum capacity for fitness, which means, uh, you know, the amounts that you can exert... Um, and I'm wondering if I got that wrong in terms of uh, because the Fulham game was cancelled, we came into this one fresh, whereas we weren't fresh against Stoke, and we weren't fresh against Wolves. And OK, maybe if you don't play Kane and Son against Stoke, then things are better. But I don't know, I just, uh, we, we, we looked more lively on the counter and there may well be tactical reasons for that. And it might just be that we missed a game and got a couple of extra days off or, or you know, got a match off. So I would add to that 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 was Huey Bear's strongest game in probably a month. Mm, that's <laughs> um, a good point. Really good point. He, and he, he was looking like he needed a rest so badly to me. Uh, and he was incredibly strong against Leeds, I thought. And uh, again, I'm just going to quickly scan through the, the, the data, the stats as I'm talking, QEBR, five tackles, two interceptions, one clearance, two block shots, three fouls, one yellow card. I mean, that's a pretty strong defensive performance. Uh, and, and that's what my eyes told me as well. I was impressed with his um, defensive solidity today. Very impressed. And um, when, when you talk about why Spurs might have been more successful, Nathan, I definitely think 
the way Leeds defended had a big impact on that. I mean, they are so risky, not just you know, sort of leaving essentially one against one with Son, Kane, Bergwine, but also the way they empty their midfield and, and burst forward at every opportunity. When when you're a good counter-attacking t- side like Spurs are, and you have exceptional players, that is a hugely risky strategy. And I, I felt um, Bielsa definitely overcommitted. I get he doesn't do things by heart. So I completely understand that he doesn't compromise, doesn't change things. It's, you know, in compromising, he would be potentially sacrificing the good work that it does in, in all the other games against the less good counter-attacking sides. But it had a huge impact on the outcome of this. And whilst the goals consisted of a penalty, a set piece, and a piece of Son Kane brilliance, I actually thought that we had a much more sustainable yeah. route to a goal in this game. We mm-hmm. missed a lot of half chances, good chances. You know, Bergvine had a couple of really presentable chances. I felt like we were going to score more. I felt like we probably should have scored more. And I wasn't concerned about our attack in this game at all. 20 shots, 20 shots and 2.5 expected goals, you know. It wasn't it wasn't the uh, the snatch and grab routine that we've seen Absolutely. a little bit of. Um, Jose said in his in his post match comments about the fact that Leeds go man to man and with Son and Kane and how they move, it was always going to be it was always going to be easy for them. It was always going to give them. I think he even called it an easy job. Um, I what I did quite like about this is there were goal opportunities coming from other areas as well. It wasn't just Kane and Son partnership. Bergwijn had opportunities um, and Dombele forced a corner, which Toby scored from. We scored from a set piece again. So I think, um, yes, Leeds were a good opposition to play against. Yes, Son and Kane do Son and Kane things. But I, I, I take a lot of heart from this. And the fact that we we didn't just retreat back to our areas and back to our area and defend the 1-0. Um, Nathan mentioned as well, I thought our pressing was smart. Me and you, Wendy, we had a little bit of um, a discussion during the game about how we were pressing. And I thought I thought we chose the right time to press. It wasn't an all-out press, but we were we were being smart again. And um, this, I know, of course, I'm going to back back Tottenham and, and go big on Twitter because you know Twitter's all about big and being bravado and, and saying stuff to annoy people most of the time. But I I was very happy about how we played and how we set up. And yeah, I take a lot of positivity from this game. And the pressing was interesting because. So Spurs at the moment tend to press when the opposition team gets into their half. That tends to be the, the trigger, the press. But in this game, when Leeds had the ball at the back, or when, mm. it's normally from a goal kick, we had players stand right up to stop them playing out, and it worked really well. And I remember in pre-season, we scored a goal where Huey Bier was backing up the press effectively uh, and got an assist that way. He did that today. He did, he did that really effectively today. It, it worked a treat, and we ended up scoring from it. Um, so, yeah, things went very successfully, I think. I mean, Leeds did, they missed a couple of chances. The Bamford header was the one, I thought, you know, that if, if Bamford scores that header at a crucial time, then it might have been a different game. It might have been quite an interesting game to, to see unfold, actually. But I'll pass, that kind of, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, he's that kind of player, Bamford. You know, his, his movement is absolutely exceptional. It's really elite. His finishing is not, he's absolutely not. Uh, he he gets masses of chances, and although he scored, I think he scored ten goals in the league this season. The 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 conversion rate is actually not not all that good. But he's a good player. He's he's doing a, a fine job for them. For for that level, he's a very good player. Um, I just don't think he's an elite striker, to be honest. Uh, we need to talk about Matt Doherty. <laughs> Sigh. But we don't um, want to. <laughs> I could just breaking news: PSG have now appointed a new manager. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah. 
buddy you you you've mentioned before you don't really care you're this is like this is immaterial to you it is kind of immaterial to me i'm like with most our ex-players once once they leave tottenham they become ex-players and i'm curious as to what they do but i'm not going to sit here praying that Mourinho, uh that pochettino breaks his trophy duck and wins a load of cups there it, it, if he does fine if he doesn't i'm not bothered either way uh Going to PSG, if you if you want to get um, if you want to get that kind of trophy curse off you, that is the place to go. To be honest, but it will be funny in a in a sad way if he does go to PSG and doesn't win the league. Then then he's then he's really going to have um, really going to have that kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's really going to have a massive monkey on his shoulder. Then yeah, there was a really good article by Jonathan Liu in the Guardian about this, which completely changed my perspective on this move for Pochettino. Uh, where, I mean, if I read you the headline of the article, Maurizio Pochettino, an odd choice for PSG, a club where the individual is king. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And and he, he makes a very coherent, strong argument in that article. And I think this might not be quite the move that, uh, that I thought it would be for Pochettino. Well, I, I, I agree with that. But I think that, like, Pochettino has to realise, and I suspect that he does, he has to realise that his job is to go in there and not, just do it. so he's quite similar in a lot of ways technically to Juhul and Juhul changed uh, like mm-hmm. Emery before him changed his approach to the game and, and accommodate the individuals and I think Pochettino has mm-hmm. to recognise that that has fallen short probably I mean they made it to the Champions League final so it's not like <laughs> maybe you say mm-hmm. just stick it out until, until it keeps working but I suspect that Pochettino will uh, will see that his job is to go in there and, and change that culture and, and maybe get rid of Neymar um, and, yep. and not that he people describe him as this just like completely selfish uh, lazy player that's definitely not who he is but he is a very individualistic he is a very demanding yeah. talismanic player and and perhaps um, he has to move on from that and then you know promote some youth players PSG have an incredible academy oh my goodness what an academy and if he can start you know <laughs> utilising that um, and 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 you know do what he did at Spurs the first time round the, the, in the initial generation um, promote yeah. his Harry Kane and his Harry Winks uh, and his and his Ryan Mason and his Andros Townsend um, and 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 you know put some players around Mbappe <laughs> you know he'll mm. do well but um, I I I'm a fan of football I follow football across the globe I'm interested in the biggest and best teams but not too dissimilarly to Bardi I'm not sort of hanging on. Pochettino's success. I'm not immensely emotionally invested in, in in what he gets up to. I love the idea of him eventually coming back to Spurs. I love the memories uh, that that we formed. You know, me and him together, my mate Poch. But um, <laughs> but I'm not like I'm not gonna buy a PSG scarf anytime soon. No, especially for for everything that they they oh, yeah. stand for and everything else around that club. Um. What PSG does give Pochettino is it does give him a little bit of time. He won't be quite under the pressure that he would be at Man United or Real Madrid. He, I think he can make some mistakes at PSG, especially especially in the league. In the Champions League, he, he can't. But then that doesn't start again until, I don't know, when February, March. But uh, it's... Um, it's 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 quite the club to manage. I agree with Neymar. Does get whacked with these things that he is a, he's he's a lazy player. He's not. He he does put it about. But I I do think he does need to be removed from there. Pochettino wants to implement any kind of Pochettino system. It could be. A, it could end up being um, a bit like his Spurs tenure, but in fast forward. I think, and he needs to make it happen fast forward in a way. But you know, he's a more experienced manager now. That should be that should be more viable. And they can certainly still win the league this year. They're mm-hmm. only like a, a point, I think they're a point or a couple of points behind um, Leon. 
Um, yeah, I mean, he's. A, I think he's a great appointment for them, but whether they're right for him, I'm. I'm less convinced. And um, back to Matt Doherty, um, he had a bit of a nightmare. I thought, and ending with a red card. So there's 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 some mixed opinions here. Some people thought he played well and ended up getting a red, and some people thought he was poor throughout and then sort of put a red card full stop on the end. You're more in the count that he didn't have a great game. I don't think he did anything that stood out positively to me and he did a few poor things defensively yeah yeah i, I don't really he didn't he there was a really nice cutback he played or he faked across to send the leads fullback is it dallas on that side i can't remember uh to, to send the leads fullback the wrong way or the winger whoever the wrong way and create the opportunity for a cutback and then he had the option of hoibier and harry kane and he chose hoibier <laughs> and i was in the middle of saying oh really smart play oh dear <laughs> um i don't know yeah so and again in terms of like the cards themselves you can say oh this one's a little unlucky and this one's a little harsh or whatever um but like much like Sir Joria, he now has this this history and you can only give him the benefit of the doubt so much um and and similarly like so to be to be completely frank and honest i can't keep calling out you know a black player for being stupid and then sort of make excuses for a white player for falling into the same traps again and again so we have to say hey we have you know uh, an issue that is continuous throughout right back at the moment mm. um yeah, yeah i mean yeah i i think also that so they're kind of... I think in hindsight, it should have been really obvious that Matt Doherty was not suited to this role. And I don't know why we didn't spot it at the time. And we sort of spotted it, but we were expecting a more expansive style at that point because of the, well, the way we... Go on. Not even necessarily expansive, but just like to play him to his strengths. Yeah, him higher up the pit, him playing the Sergio role of last season mm. and him, you know, being accommodated to do his, his greatest strength, which is to move narrow in attack and become a target for crosses and, and, and uh, become a target for balls over the top. Um, and we've just not seen that. I still don't think that he's like bad defensively. And I stand by my initial take that he's like not a, a bad defensive player, but continuously playing from, from a low block situation, continuously being in his own box. Um, and, and probably, to be fair, I would say there's more expected of him in terms of progressing the ball through midfield than there should be. So I don't think Doherty is, a, is you know, a bad right back. I certainly think that he's capable of, of being, you know, a top six uh, squad player at the absolute least. We're just not playing to his strengths. And so it's a bad acquisition, not because of solely the quality of the player but our intended use for the he's a he's a specific right back he's not a generic right back he mm. he has uh you know strong characteristics and we're just not we're just playing him as a right back you know he's not very versatile which doesn't work in his favor in his system i think uh, he's he's not someone you can expect to drive forward with the ball from our low block and make things happen whereas already does occasionally do that um I, I agree i don't think he's bad defensively but i think he is playing badly defensively yeah, at the moment. i think that, that that could be a, a confidence thing but if i look today at his dual percentage jules one percentage i mean so our other defenders dyer 88.9 percent davis 85.7 percent adverell 71.4 percent and then you've got Doherty down on 43.8% of Jules 1. I, I think that speaks to a player who's just lacking the sort of front foot tenacity in the duel that our other defenders have. And that could be that he's um, 
sort of out of kilter with the rest of the team. He's not been playing so much. Aurier has. Aurier's had a run, and it feels like he's got a rhythm to his game now, Aurier, and he's, he's really benefiting from that. Dotti looks a fish out of water in comparison, and that's probably to be expected when he's coming in every now and again. Um, but it doesn't bode well for him, I would say. He, he did have a hard time. That, um, that left-hand side at Leeds with Harrison and Alioski are... They are quite rapid and they are quite brutal are. At, in attacking down that side. But um, yeah, he didn't have a good game. There was a few, there was early on in the first half, there was a, a crossfield ball and you could see Alioski was on the outside and he lost his aerial duel with Harrison, I think it was, and it just opened us up. He he is at a place at the moment where he he almost kind of looks a bit like Marcus Alonso when um, when he plays at fullback. That's, yes, he's he's always he's kind of stuck. He's never in line. He's he's never he's never where he kind of should be. He's kind of trying to hedge his bets, and I just think he needs to try and not be quite as as keen to get after the ball and just maybe hold his position a little bit more. It will take time, you know. Serge, we talk about Serge Aurier's improvement. And that took bloody hell. It's taken three years for him to look like a normal right back. So, I think maybe we just need a little bit of patience with Doherty. I know he's pretty old, but not he's waiting quite three new. years. <laughs> yeah, he he is quite new in this position. Had he not got sent off today, I don't think we would have spent so much time sure. talking about him because he's he didn't play great. But it was the sending off that really kind of has brought him into the spotlight. Uh, yeah, he needs to do better. He needs to do better. I think maybe, I don't know what's up with Rory, but maybe we see Tanganga right back for the next game. That, that's a great shout with Alonso, by the way. Absolutely bang on. I, I couldn't agree more. As soon as you said that, I was like, yes, this is this is exactly it. The thing is with Alonso, Chelsea fans have seen how good he can be, how effective he can be in that wing-back system, mm. how many goals he scores. You know, he ends up in so many promising positions and and, and makes cutbacks and, and scores goals himself and arrives in the box late. They're all things that Doherty can mm. do, but we've not seen that from him. So it's very difficult for Spurs fans to just accept these level of performances. Yeah, yeah. The conversation we could be having is, well, you know, he's picked up a red card, but he also has five goals this season. And instead, we're just saying he's picked up a red card. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Interesting stuff. Um, let's talk a little bit about the postponed game against Fulham. I mean, obviously, I think it was the right decision for the match to be called off. I think it's absolutely disgraceful that it was so late. I mean, mm. incredibly disruptive to both teams. Um, any thoughts on why it would have been so late? The Premier League are a mess. So, the, so <laughs> from my reading, both teams were happy for the game to go ahead. Sh- okay, that's that's surprising to me. My, my assumption mm. was that, that Fulham... You know, were missing or you know needed to be missing several players. Mm. That's what that's what I, that's what I've been reading. I heard that they only had fourteen players that were available, and they it was it was them who asked for the game to be postponed, and it was the Premier League that took forever to 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 take that step. Okay, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I, I read somewhere that the both teams are happy, and it was up to the Premier League. But that, that could have been, um, you know, people hear snippets of information at that sure. time, don't they? So you never know what's true. I think both teams were preparing for the game and and getting ready and and you know getting on buses and the like, mm. um, which again is ridiculous because you know <laughs> exactly. I mean, you exactly. know why it's ridiculous. So I don't need to. Yeah, mm. exactly. But you're spot on, and it's um. I think part part of the problem is they're making it up as they go along. There's no protocols for how to deal with postponements. There's no sort of cutoff point. If you have X players unavailable due to testing positive or being in self isolation, the game can't go ahead. They, they just they're just taking each isolated case 
and making a judgment call on it. That can't be that can't be the way forward. It's absolutely ridiculous. I wonder if the delay was due to sort of negotiation around forfeiture and Fulham are saying, you know, like, well, we'd rather at least try to play the game with 14 players than outright forfeit it and, and whatever. I mean, this is very speculative, of course. But mm. I, I wonder, because I don't know when we're going to have this game. We're playing twice a week right. forever. The season, exactly. no, it's just, it's it's insane, man. It's absolutely insane. Ignoring ignoring the fact that the game had to be called off for, for, for safety reasons, and I think that was completely the right decision. Uh, God, this couldn't have come at a better time. Mm. Like, we, we, our players really looked like they were knackered and needed a break. And I was worried about Kane and Son and Huey Bear in particular, their, their fitness levels and their their muscle fatigue. Um, but also Fulham have become a very dogged, hardworking, counter-attacking side that I was genuinely uh, nervous about playing. And I was thinking this has got nil-nil written all over it. Imagine how the fans are going to react if we draw against Fulham after the run of games we've had. Uh, so to sort of substitute that for a match against Leeds, a team that come on to you and allow you to counterattack them and punch after punch after punch was landing, um, uh, it couldn't have gone any better, really. It, it's, it's, we've been saved by coronavirus once again, essentially, I think. Um, <laughs> but Nathan's right, that game has to be fitted in somewhere. That's, that's going to be tricky. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And one thing, I'm just going to share a little snippet, and I apologize to the ex-subs because this is a spoiler for Straight Off the Draining Ground. <gasps> I recorded this morning with Chris. Uh, Chris told me a little anecdote about a time where... Uh, he happened to be with a friend whose family were a host family for Milos Velkovic. And Milos Velkovic was playing for Spurs at the time, under-23s or whatever, and uh, a game got postponed at the last minute. And he got a message through from the club saying, at 11 o'clock at night, you need to eat some sugary food right now. We need you to eat some sugary food to compensate for the, the match missing. I'm not sure... I don't understand the sort of nutritional logistics around that, but uh, he had jam roly poly, <laughs> <laughs> and Chris um, got to enjoy some jam roly poly with brilliant, him. Brilliant, brilliant! At half eleven o'clock, half eleven at night, that goes yeah. against all my kind of intermittent fasting ways of <laughs> ways of eating. I, I, jam roly poly, have something sugary, have a jam roly poly. There's nothing more technical that they can he can he can have. I just really enjoy the idea that a young Serbian man would have like this very old-fashioned, traditional English dessert. 
<laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, the other sort of coronavirus related news, I suppose, is some pictures came out of a number of our players socialising over the Christmas period. Um, specifically, Eric Lamella, Giovanni Lo Celso and Sergio Regulon, along with Manuel Lanzini of West Ham. Um, they, they were there were photos on social media of them, their families, their friends all together enjoying Christmas festivities. Not good. Uh, not good at all. And rumours before that of our Brazilian players potentially doing something similar, although that is unconfirmed. There have been no pictures of them released. Uh, Spurs did release a statement about the players who've um, oh. essentially breached regulations. And they said that this is uh, going to be dealt with internally. Um, I put, a, I put a, a short Twitter thread out this morning just to sort of say that Yes, this is, I mean, absolutely appalling behaviour, uh, but I can completely understand why it's got to this point because footballers are being treated as if they are in a bubble. Yeah. And so they carry on now behaving like they're in a bubble. That doesn't, I don't mean to excuse them because I don't think it, I don't think it should be excused. I think it's, they need to face up to what they've done and they've put people at risk and it's, it's ridiculous, frankly, and it's insulting to the, the staff who are working in hospitals and going through absolute hell at the moment, one of my friends included. Um, but I can see why this has happened. Um, Nathan, any thoughts on this situation? And do you think that might have been the reason why Lo Celso and Regulon were, uh, Lo Celso and Lamella rather, were not in the squad today? Regulon was on the bench. Yeah, I imagine that that must be the case. That makes perfect sense to me. Uh, you, you will be shocked to discover I, I feel kind of similarly to you in that, yes, um, these players have, have done something pretty stupid here, pretty selfish, pretty short-sighted pretty uncaring but it's also like from their perspective it's like their job which they're told is is so important that they have to continue to do it um during a a, a lethal pandemic their job entails them face-to-face -face contact no masks on every day with several other blokes that they don't live with and then at the end of the week there's a match and maybe they'll play two a week and in the warm-up to the match they get on a coach with a driver and then they go in and they're in the tunnel and there's all the medics and they've not got masks on and there's all the administrators and there's all the refereeing team and they're all huddled together in a tunnel and then they run about a pitch and they get in a box for corners together and they do all of this in in the name of 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 crucial uh entertainment key working is what they're doing and then they're told but make sure you don't see any of these people outside of work and don't see their families that they live with outside of work. And you, you can get how they're just like, well, I'm going to see them anyway. And they're in contact with their family. So I'm only one step away from their family who they live with. I want to celebrate Christmas. I don't think that they should do that. And I definitely don't think anyone listening should do that. But it's just like the risk of them having this party is so just in line with what they're already doing in the name of the Premier League broadcast that like I, I have some sympathy for them, you know? And as Bankrupt Spurs rightly points out, it's hard to get annoyed at them when it's ridiculous essentially that football is continuing to happen during these circumstances. So I'm not I'm not too annoyed with them, you know? Mm. Yeah, from what I've been reading I mean I'm I'm quite I've been keeping myself quite up to date with um goings on with covid numbers of infections numbers of, of admittances to hospitals number of deaths mm. and I, I i follow lots of um data scientists and doctors and my suspicion is that there will be a break in football at some point in the very near future because things are becoming quickly unsustainable in the hospitals in our country 
uh, it's, it's it's gone really bad. It's gone really bad. And if we, I mean, the government are thinking of opening some schools next week, which is absolutely insane and will make things 10 times worse. I say 10 times worse, uh, a lot more than 10 times worse, potentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I suspect we'll, we'll have a break at some point in the, near, in the very near future. But for now, it continues. And Bardi, any thoughts from you on all of this stuff? Um, in the in the whole build up, so before before this picture came out of the Argentinians, I just I just thought there was something kind of dark and, and quite nasty about how Brazilians were just getting the blame. It was just like there was, as far as I'm aware, there's been no photo, there's been nothing out there, but it's all the Brazilians. Every single Brazilian in the Premier League is just gathered together <laughs> and they're spreading it around. And I just thought that's um, it's a bit unfair. It, maybe there's a, a touch of racism there or something else, but. Just because Neymar held a party in Rio doesn't mean all the Brazilians are now either in Rio licking each other or in the Premier League all messing around with each other. So I, I, I thought there was undertones to that, which I thought was unfair. But then supporting the rest of South America, the Argentinians release a picture and it's just like, <laughs> ah, well, there you go. Well done. Well done, guys. Um, yeah, I, I just echo in the thoughts of all you guys. You, you, these, these are human beings who are treated completely different to everybody else in this country and for them to then act completely different to everybody else in the country is, is to be, it's not to be expected, but you, you can understand why they did it because they live not, they don't live normal lives. These people, they're going about like nothing is really going on. Uh, I just wish, just wish they hadn't have done it, but it's happened. It's happened. It's annoying. I mean, we, we remember in the, in the full lockdown back in March, there were several breaches of, of that. I mean, that, that in some ways was more shocking to me because it was like, mm. Football had yeah. stopped then, you know, there was there was no sort of reasonable excuse as to why that they would be breaching lockdown. Now it's a bit different because football's carrying on. So I like even though I appreciate that that is a stupid thing to do, they not, might not be so embedded in watching the news because they're out training and, mm. you know, going to football matches and things. So, yeah, I mean. The, the the whole kind of jam roly poly thing it just kind of shows what these what these human beings like I remember reading the secret secret footballer wherever it was um, about the footballers wouldn't didn't even have control of their own passports because they would turn up to the airport without it and these are individuals who just kick a ball around and have everything else so laid out for them that they don't actually they don't live like normal people so. Mm. There, they, a lot of they, responsibility they, is removed from them essentially because, for the most part, uh, you know, there are of course exceptions footballers who are highly educated and university degrees and everything else, but for the most part, these are children who've got a supreme talent for kicking a ball and have had everything else just laid out for them. All you need to do is kick this football, yeah. whack it in the goal, and not worry about anything else. So, then for them. To, for us to expect them to have the same worries and the same thoughts about knock-on effects and what this means for people watching and what this means for their families is you can't you can't deliver them everything and then expect them to to then act like like us. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to be honest, if you if you read the Daily Mail, which I, I like to do in pandemic times because I, li- I like to see what's going on at the, the stupid end of the scale, <laughs> there are people out there who are footballers who are doing stupid things as well, you know. So people oh, are really human- so much so. So a lot much of people yeah. are idiots. Footballers, yeah, plenty <laughs> of them plenty of them are idiots too, but like you, you have to you can't lay the blame at the feet of, of individuals here, right? If if we were better run as a country, we could have all had Christmas parties. 
Um, mm. Again, which is not not to excuse their individual decisions. Obviously, yes, of course, they lived incredibly warped realities from from like young ages. They, you know, being growing up as a multi million pound commodity is 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 such an incredibly weird and wrong and backwards upbringing. Um, but the the fault lies at systemic decisions rather than the couple of idiots having their little party. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, let's move on to some questions. Nathan, you touched upon on fitness and freshness earlier. So let's dive into this one from Alec Depkrinsky, who sent a really long email about um, freshness in Mourinho's system. I really liked this email. And it was in response to your previous comments on the previous podcast, Nathan, about conserving energy. And he wrote lots of detail about the mental discipline that Mourinho's mm. tactics and system requires. And he says, I'm not convinced that the way we play is any less physically demanding compared to the way Man City or Liverpool plays. It's just physically demanding in different ways. So in short, are Mourinho's tactical instructions really any less physically demanding compared to other systems, especially if you factor in how mentally draining they seem to be? Yeah, I found that particular aspect of the of the, the email really interesting. I definitely agree that like, yeah. So the, the point that Alec makes is that like you're playing a lot of football a lot of the time. You have to be completely switched on for the full 90 minutes because if you make a mistake, it can be immensely costly. And that level of like mental exertion is, is intense. And certainly, I didn't mean, I may have done, I didn't mean to imply that like it's physically easy what these elite athletes are pushing themselves nearly to the limit doing is. But I do maintain that it is easier than a high press. Simple as that. I, I do maintain that like what we're doing requires a very, very high, le- extreme level of athleticism and fitness and explosiveness and concentration and all of that and endurance that is still a little lower than what Liverpool and Manchester City and Leeds are, are looking to achieve. I think maybe there are particular roles in the team that might be more physically exerting or sure. as physically exerting. But I think across the board, I think you're right, that the, the, a pressing approach would take it out of the legs more uh, more and more often. I mean, imagine if we were playing the, the Pochettino press with this schedule now. I just don't think it would work. I think you'd have to be rotating so many players to, to try and make ends meet. I mean, we used to rotate the fullbacks very regularly anyway. Mm. It, would be, it would be way more than that. I, I think it would be difficult to do, essentially. We'd have so many muscle injuries. We'd, yeah. we'd have burst hamstrings all over the shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this one was about our centre-back. So this was from VJ Amin. VJ says, obviously Pochettino is no longer our manager, but I've been thinking about our centre-back situation for a while now, particularly with the lack of development of our younger players. At one point, Poch tipped Davinson Sanchez, Foyt, Carter Vickers and Dyer to develop into, quote, one of the best centre-backs in the world. However, none of them kicked on under Pochettino despite him being a centre-back in his playing days. What could Poch have done differently with their development? How much of this is even on Poch? Did any of your analysis at the time of signing the above reference players back Pochettino's assertion that they had the capability to become elite-level centre-backs? Mm. I thought this was really interesting because it's, a, it's an absolutely fair point that if you just look objectively at the careers of Sanchez, Foyt, Carter Vickers... Maybe not so dire, but let's include dire. And things haven't gone so well. Uh, maybe maybe dire is the exception because there's been an uptick this season, but there's certainly been a a downward trajectory until Definitely. this season with with dire. Um, is this something you can put your finger on, Nathan? I mean, there's there's a few things at play. Uh, one is that um, 
to an extent, the centre-backs are hung out to dry in, in the way that Pochettino plays. When those centre-backs you're putting a lot of strain on are a PK's Toby Alderweireld and a PK's Jan Vertonghen, they are a- enabled to assert themselves as the, the best centre-backs in the land. Uh, but when they are, you know, a single tier below that, they're yeah. going to struggle, you know? It's a really... Constantly having to sprint over your own shoulder uh, whilst also covering the space in front of you at the same time. It's just immensely demanding. I think another thing is that, like, essentially... We're talking about young centre-backs here. Certainly, you know, from a few years ago, talking about young centre-backs here. And and centre-back is uh, the, the sort of the slowest uh, outfield uh, role in terms of, like, the age curve. A lot of centre-backs not really hitting their peak until their late, late 20s or even 30. Um, and I think one of the reasons for that is not so much like your physical age, but simply getting a thousand games under your belt. And they just, I don't think there was enough rotation at centre-back under Pochettino for, for, for those players to develop. Dyer certainly got a lot of games, but a lot of them away from centre-back. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's partly down to his own decision and what he wanted to do and... Um, the competition that he had and everything else. But yeah, not enough game time for Foyt. I don't think Cameron Carter was really having with a shot, but they shout, there you go. I think that he should be, you know, concentrating on making himself a, a championship slash lower level Premier League centre back for teams of that level. Uh, but yeah, not, not enough game time for Foyt and probably not enough game time for Davinson either. Um, things are going well for Davinson when he played in the middle of a back three. Um, you know, with Alderweire and Yamatonga on either side of him, which <laughs> mm. uh, which maybe is something that you're thinking, oh, I could probably do that. <laughs> um, but he he kind of needed those specific circumstances to 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 favour him, and he needed more game time. I think it's as simple as that, really. That's the point. But I've heard Bardi make several times before as well around uh, centre backs becoming better with age, and I'm sure he's about to reel off a list of tremendous old Italian centre-backs who became good when they hit 27-28. No, 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 because the true GOAT Italian centre-backs are always good, Cannavaro and Nesta. They were, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were good as children. Um, I think Nathan's right. I was going to say that the reason why Foyf and Davinson perhaps didn't kick on is because Toby and, and Yam were so good and they, they played all the time. Um, when we, Just as Nathan was talking, I was also thinking about Kevin Wimmer. He dropped into my mind. Because um, when Vertonghen got injured against Palace that time, Kevin Wimmer came in and he looked okay. He looked pretty good. You know, left-sided centre-back. And I had the hopes of him. But then I remember he was playing behind uh, Wanyama and Dembele. And I think a lot of the problems that perhaps Sanchez has faced is he's been playing in a in a back line which has been really exposed quite badly, especially in Pochettino's last season and early on in, in Jose's reign as well. Foyf just didn't get enough game time and now he's at Villarreal and he's just not getting enough game time. So maybe he's just not that good. Um, well, he uh, he played in defensive midfield last game um, and it went so badly that he was taken off at half-time. They had been, Villarreal, I think, had been on a, an amazing run under Emery and they put Foyf in and that run ended. It's all over. Dyer, Dyer's doing okay. I, there were moments today where I, where I, I was looking at him and I was just like, don't, don't do that. He 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 decides to go Beckenbauer, and sometimes <laughs> sometimes sometimes that's fine, but sometimes it's not. And against Leeds, especially, they're so good at winning the ball back. I was like, no, 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 don't do it. Just just knock it to Toby. But he has been looking better. He's been looking solid, a right footer on the left. He's been doing good there. Uh, so I'm I'm pretty happy with Dyer at the moment. I'm much happier with Dyer 
today than I was this time last year. So, so it's good that he's developing into a, a decent, high-standard Premier League footballer. This system suits Dyer so much. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely perfectly made for him. And when Jose Mourinho leaves Spurs, Eric Dyer should go to Burnley and become their club captain and stay there <laughs> for 10 years. But I think my favourite Dyer moments is when, uh, when you watch the replays and the cross has come in and it's gone over his head. And if you look at Dyer, look into his eyes, you know that he has no idea who's behind him. <laughs> and as, he, as he turns his head to follow the ball, you can see the relief when he realises there's no striker there and it's going to go out for a corner. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure nine times out of ten, he has no idea who's behind him. He's and just guessed. He's just praying because a lot. Of, so we do concede. I'm now just going to make a general assessment without any kind of knowledge or stats, which is Sweet. kind of what that's what I'm here for. Um, I think a lot of times when he doesn't know who's behind him, and and he's kind of culpable for that. He gets too close to Alderweireld, and the ball pops over his head, and bang! Someone's at the back post to knock it in. Done. That sounds about there's right. My, there's my general assessment with no knowledge. <laughs> done. Why not? I'm sure no one will call you out on it. <laughs> I'm going to end on this one from Cole, the CD mole. Cole says, as we've established that Nathan is a professional MMA fighter, <laughs> how, many, <laughs> how many eight-year-olds do each of you think you could beat up before you became overwhelmed? Assuming there are an infinite amount of eight-year-olds coming at you and you're confined to a space the size of an average football pitch. Uh. I, the idea of fighting a single eight-year-old is overwhelming to me. I don't want to hurt an eight-year-old. What are you talking about, man? I can, I can, I could, I could, I could contain four with with grappling, and after that point, I'd have to hit them in order to like try to keep them off me. And I just, I couldn't do it. I would rather be beaten up than eight with eight-year-olds than than deal with the like the guilt of having hurt children. So, not what, not what if they're like their their eight year old anti lockdown campaign. <laughs> <No. laughs> I, I, I couldn't and, do and it, they're, and they're they're shouting "fuck the NHS." They don't know any the better, NHS. Chris. The the responsibility lies with their parents, and also why are they attacking me? <laughs> they're surprisingly really well informed. They've done a lot of reading on the subject. <laughs> no. They've been they've been reading Carl Hennigan and Mike Yedden and Carol whatever he's called, and and they they know they know their own minds, Nathan. And they're telling you that you're wrong, that lockdowns are ineffective and this is killing our economy. I'm not fighting children, Chris. It's not happening. I'm punching each one of them in the face. (laughs) Well, you're a vicious person. I think um, a lot of this will come down to how tactical the eight-year-olds are. Because (laughs) as as someone who doesn't have children, um, when I hang around people who have kids, I'm allowed to play that kind of role of like a child so I, I can mess around with them. And as someone who's who has grappled children before, I think if they... If, I'm just going to cut the they, podcast there, that'll do. If they come at you without a tactic, then then you're going to... You, you can use their eagerness against them. But if, if they get you down, so if they're willing to sacrifice a few of their teammates and get in between your legs and bring you down, then you're done for. You have to stay on your feet for as long as possible. Um yeah, so it'd be quite a few. But who were the two footballers that played against like a a pitch full of kids and oh, they were yeah. just running through them? I can't remember who, who what footballers it were. My mind thinks Dembele, but I would love to see Dembele versus one thousand kids. But um, yeah, I think you just, as long as you stay on your feet, you'll be all right. But the moment you're down, you're it's all over. You're like um, I'm going to try an MMA reference here, but you're Colin McGregor. If you're on the floor, you're in trouble. 
Not bad. Not is, bad. I, I, I feel like I feel like Bardi. I mean, I've seen Bardi on a football pitch, and he, the man's got some legs on him. He can he can move. I feel like Bardi would like exhaust the children, a few of them, and then just sprint into the opposite corner. <laughs> catch his breath for a few moments whilst they ran over to him, like swipe a few more and then do the same again and just repeat and repeat until until there's a pile of eight-year-olds in the middle of the pitch. Mm. I think I'd, I think I've answered this on the fighting cock before, but I would <laughs> I would use one eight-year-old against the rest of them and use an eight-year-old as a kind of bat to, to, to attack <laughs> the others with. <laughs> if I was on the fighting cock, that's what I'd say. Here I'd say use a tactical, tactical nice. move and stay on your feet. He's versatile, our body. Mm. Yes. I mean, in all honesty, I I, I don't think I could... I, I think I would struggle to, like, physically hurt any living creature because I'm so I'm so feeble and feeble mentally. Like, I, just, I can't imagine punching another person, it, nor, nor, nor am I able to do so. <laughs> you, you do realise this is hypothetical, Chris. It's, it's, it's OK. You can you can answer this. You, yeah. Just, just be, be truthful. You, you'd go studs in on the first one and say that's a lesson for all of you. That would learn you. Headbutts all over the shop. Mm. Mm. This is, right. You have well, to scare the others off by hurting the first one. Horrifically. Yeah, <laughs> I like that for the greater good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a numbers game. Yeah. It's pure numbers. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.